nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Welcome back, and thank you for joining us here on Monday. Um, It is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I am Leanne Meyer, and I'm very excited about this show. The show is titled A Data-Driven Population Health Perspective. So that's a bit of a mouthful. Healthcare more than ever before runs on numbers, research, data, history, documentation, scientific sharing, watching trends, anticipating problems or catastrophes in the form of new bugs, diseases, aberrations in weather, and much more. The earth is constantly evolving and changing, and every change impacts the humans and other creatures that inhabit it, which in turn impacts us again. The people that watch the numbers are the ones we rely on to stay awake at night so we don't have to. This is an area that every nurse and healthcare provider needs to be at least aware of. Are you someone who likes being on the front line of what is coming uh, uh, coming up and problem solving what to do or who needs to know about it? Perhaps this is a career for you. Help me welcome my guest, Asha Gaines Emanuel, who is a population health nurse analyst, and she calls herself an outcome evangelist. And Danielle Ciari is a um, MSN in informatics and has her fingers in a lot of frontline health data. So, um, Asha, uh, welcome to the show, and Danielle. Um, Asha, could you give just a brief overview of your um, bio and tell us how you got to population health? Sure, Leanne. Um, so thank you very much for having me. This is a wonderful opportunity. Um, I have uh, been a nurse for about 20 years, um, and I've had lots of nursing experiences, um, labor and delivery, high-risk OB, postpartum nursing. I've also done some case management and school nursing. And my passion for improving health outcomes uh, led me to a population health perspective. And so I started as a population health care coordinator uh, at a local hospital, and I did that for a few years. And that led me to um, want to explore a deeper understanding of population health concepts. And so I am now uh, at, John, at the Johns Hopkins School of Public Health uh, pursuing a Master of Applied Science in Population Health. Um, management. Fantastic. So, okay. um, Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Danielle Ciari is, um, as I said, she's a master, uh, has a master in, in of science and nursing for informatics. Um, uh, uh, Danielle, tell us about you and how you got connected to nursing informatics. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for having us and for us to be able to share our nursing our uh, unique perspectives. Uh, to me, nursing is something that as you grow in your career, it evolves. A lot of times the most interesting things are things you stumble upon or hear. So uh, my career was from being a 
level one trauma nurse traveling to, uh, prior to that, doing uh, transplants, liver, kidney, and pancreas to case management. And uh, I would travel. I would travel all across the world, and people were so kind to allow me to come into their hospitals in 35 countries. And I wanted to know how do we care for each other uh, from a global perspective? How do we use technology? And, and through that process, um, I discovered nursing informatics and decided this is uh, my wheelhouse, and this allows me to use um, health technology um, information science. And I like a techie librarian across the world. And doing this process, able to go back into the countries with a, a fresh perspective to understand medical economics, to understand uh, data coming for surveillance to see the big picture of what's happening globally. How do you use data when it comes to uh, health care and climate change and how it's evolving? That sounds fantastic. And I'm so glad to hear people are uh, not just taking what we learn in the United States, but taking the whole world. Uh, there's so much information out there. And I think that uh, it's really important that we be listening to everyone. So um, one of the first things I'm interested in is what is it that keeps you each up at night? Asha, tell us about yours. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's it's thinking about where the U.S. is in relation to the, to the world. The U.S. is at a crossroads. We're at a tipping point. Um, our life expectancy is declining. It's not keeping pace with other high-income countries. Um, our quality and safety, uh, we have some issues with medical error and uh, causing harm to our patient population. Uh, the maternal and infant mortality uh, rates are rising in our country. Um, and healthcare costs are careening out of control. Uh, 17% of our gross domestic product in 2014 um, was healthcare. The other thing that keeps me up is we have an incoherence experience of care. I'm also a patient in addition to being a nurse, and um, the experience of care is, is, is incoherent right now in our country. Um, it's very fragmented, and, and that's because the uh, healthcare payment structure has incentivized uh, fragmented healthcare delivery because we focus on disease treatment rather than prevention and wellness. So okay. those are the things that keep me up at night. Dan- Danielle, what keeps you up at night? From a global perspective, it's the wide swing of cost. Mm-hmm. Um, I travel and I manage my own care if I need to get my teeth cleaned, whatever I need to do, and finding out globally the price per person, the price cost difference, and a lot of things that cross over with population health. Uh, a lot of people dealing with dental issues, health uh, food, clean water, and the price disparity. If you want to get your teeth clean in an x-ray, um, say in France, it's uh, 40 euros. That same price will cost someone $200. That might keep someone to prevent them from taking care of themselves and lead right. to long-term, you know, maybe in cardiac repercussions. So to me, it's the, the lack of knowledge we all have on what mm-hmm. things actually cost as a patient and as well as a nurse. You don't know when you send someone, you don't know what something's really going to cost because you don't know how to factor in right. um, the cost of the insurance or the cost mm-hmm. uh, per person, per, you know, cash. Well, and um, it's different for every resources. person. So I think it's the, it's the cost and seeing the big picture that um, it's not all the same. 
Okay. Asha, I know. Make a difference. Uh, Asha, you had uh, made a point uh, that the nursing profession uh, has a population roots. Ba- basically, we are coming out of the population. And um, tell us a, a little bit about the history that you're thinking of that goes along with that. Sure. So uh, the nursing profession has a population health roots, right? Historically, nurses um, have brought health to people where they live, learn, work pray and play. Um, we have been system disruptors. Um, I think back to Florence Nightingale, who was a, mm-hmm. we all know, social reformer and the founder of, mod- of modern nursing, and Lillian Wald, uh, who was the founder of public health nursing and uh, really disrupted the system of care for immigrants in the, at the turn of the century in this country in New York. Um, you know, both of those ladies, they, they, they had a pattern that they followed, and, and so they discerned and investigated patterns across their patient population, really understood the context of environment for uh, the populations that they were in charge of, um, and they designed targeted and broad-based solutions um, to improve the health outcomes of, of, of those populations. And then they benchmarked and measured outcomes for a continuous improvement um, of, of their intervention. So nurses, you know, we create health in addition to treating disease. Um, so our roots, the roots of nursing is in population health. Mm-hmm. Well, and it seems like uh, we tend to be uh, very great problem solvers. Uh, we don't mm-hmm. just notice a problem, but we want to fix it. We want to do something about it. So um, very, very important. Um, Definitely. Da- Danielle, did you want to add anything? Absolutely. As you were saying, I was thinking we're, we're like nursing engineers. We always want to engineer um, a solution. And to piggyback on Florence Nightingale, I was um, surprised and learned quite a bit of her. On, um, I had a big event in Malta. And to find out that she had came to Malta to study to see what they were doing uh, when it came to wartime um, hospitals and how that could be approved and what were they doing right, what were they doing wrong, how could they approve the situation. So to me, um, everything old is new again. Uh, mm-hmm. Here I'm living in Montreal and they actually have a nursing uh, museum. And one of the uh-huh. big things in the old newspapers are talking about nurses going into uh, the Irish community, going to the different mm-hmm. communities. Um, dealing with close proximity, dealing with typhus, and that's something that they're dealing with in Southern California, they're, oh, or they're dealing wow. with in San Francisco, with outbreaks of disease, like everything's old is new again. Uh, who would mm-hmm. thought, you know, Southern California nurses nowadays would be dealing with outbreaks of typhus? Um, they talked a lot about immunizations, how uh, they were struggling um, with immunizing people uh, in the population and different misconceptions. So to me, you can really learn from the past because it's emulating and it's recurring now again. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I think we have to move um, from the individualistic downstream approaches back to an upstream population level perspective. And I really think nurses uh, have an obligation to positively influence the health status of, of our nation and, and of the world, wherever we are. Um, because, you know, we have a whole person lens, um, and there are 3.4 million of us in this country alone. So 
we can design solutions um, to the national high-cost poor health dilemma that we find ourselves in. And mm-hmm. then we're also the most trusted profession in the nation. Um, so that that we have an obligation to positively influence the health status of of our communities, our nations, and globally. Do you think that I, nurses I, I really get? I think the big thing is looking at it from a global perspective, because there might be another uh, country, another nurse that's found a solution for you five, ten years ago that you could implement. Mm-hmm. Um, understanding tech, I always challenge nurses to, uh, in a positive light, to understand technology that the overall population is using to be able to communicate, to connect, to connect with each other, to share um, information, whether it's a, a new article, a new procedure, um, a new uh, maybe a community that is formed that they can join and be part of, uh, local, global, and even on a global scale to really understand what's happening in their community. And so mm-hmm. I use tech in that way of bridging that gap. And it would seem that the younger nurses, as they come in, uh, technology will not be such a scary thing as the people who were from my generation, which is uh, a while ago. So um, that has to be a a plus also. Well, I always put it in terms, no matter the age, if you can read, you can do anything. You know, getting your license, whether you did it on paper, you did it on computer, it wasn't a walk in the park. And if you can do that, you can do anything. Mm-hmm. It's the patience yeah. with yourself and the time and the learn. Because no matter if you're a first-year nurse or you've been a nurse for 40 years, you had to sit down and learn the skill. You had to sit down and learn the practice. You had to sit down and learn the tool. Right. And so now mm-hmm. the thing is to learn. And then as an adult learner, you can choose the environment you want to, to learn in. Mm-hmm. But the whole mm-hmm. purpose is as a nurse that we're mandated uh, to learn, even at a, a conference um, a few months ago, they really stressed no matter you say if you're a population health nurse or you say you're a maternity nurse, it's part of your nurse practice act to understand data mm-hmm. and yeah. to understand the information. Then right. it will turn into wisdom and to reflect that to your colleagues and to your patients. Asha, talk a little bit about fee-for-service. You had a comment about that. Yes. So, yes, the healthcare payment structure really incentivizes fragmented care. Mm-hmm. Um, so, fee-for-service, uh, these are payments for procedures rather than for medical care. So, and it, it promotes um, an increased service volume um, mm-hmm. and, it, and promotes fragmentation of care. Um, so, no one's really looking at the entire continuum. You're just looking at your little portion. Um, mm-hmm. And in 2012, CMS uh, began a disruptive shift from fee-for-service uh, to a value-based payment approach. And uh, what this does is, is it rewards and holds providers accountable for measures that are based on the triple aim. Um, and for nurses, what I want nurses to know what the triple aim is. Um, it is a transition from illness care to optimizing health for individuals and populations, um, and it was developed by the Institute of Health uh, Improvement, and it is to reduce the per capita cost of health care um, to improve the patient experience of care, including quality and satisfaction, uh, and improve the health of populations. Now, 
the quadruple aim adds a fourth element to the triple aim, which in- incorporates care team well-being into that paradigm, uh, into that framework, um, because you can't really separate the experience of the patient from the experience of the care mm-hmm. team. Um, we have to have well-being in order to deliver good patient care. Um, and there is an epidemic right now of clinician burnout, of physician mm-hmm. suicide rates. Um, and so all of those things have to be, when you think about improving healthcare, you have to look at it from a quadruple aim uh, framework. Mm-hmm. Daniel, what do you, what are your thoughts from informatics perspective on that? I spoke about this, um, I think maybe now I'm bad with time, maybe two years ago, uh, implementing value-based care and how social media can play a role. Uh, there's a doctor uh, from Malta that we spoke about this, and it was a, kind of a new thought process in, in Denmark and the Nordic countries, and we were discussing this, and it really is a change of, of mindset, but it makes sense. If you bought a car, you expect the car to work. If you bought food, you know, you expect it that it's going to be, you know, clean, it's going to uh, been inspected. So you expect a value for what you pay for. And it's a mindset that why should you not expect value from your health care? You know, should you not be better? Should you not be at basically the best optimum level of health that you could be for, you know, the funds that were paid for? So... It really was a huge change in, in mindset, uh, change in coding, the change with doctors, practices, hospitals, even insurance companies were looking at the care that a, a patient was receiving. Um, and I think so basically, so you're saying they're going to look. Point. Basically, they're going to be looking at the outcomes. Did this person get well? Did they stay well? So were they focused on just going through a list of things they always do, or are they really looking at this person and saying, what would be the most optimum care for this person? A good example would be when I did case management, my specialty was uh, making sure the patient wasn't back in the hospital for the exact same illness or something related to, like say, for example, someone got a hip replacement. You know, did they come back within 30 days with pneumonia tied to that hip replacement? Um, mm-hmm. Did they get an infection, you know, tied to that hip replacement? So to me, successful, you know, outcome and looking at statistics, were they able to stay out for 30 days? Were they better post-procedure? Were they able to progress from physical therapy to going to the gym and doing the exercises they were doing with their physical therapist? Um, what motion that could keep them healthy but not mm-hmm. cause, cause the injury to the new um, implant. So mm-hmm. that's a really good example of having the actual data to show that you're able to keep the patient out. Um, they are healthier than what they were, right. and they didn't right. return. And if they did return, then that meant that um, the hospitals got a lower reimbursement, the doctors got a lower reimbursement, um, and the insurance mm-hmm. companies got a lower reimbursement from um, That's Medicare. incentive. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so Asha, finding a case manager to really have those tough conversations. Do you have food? Right. Do you have shelter? Uh, do you have someone to get your appointments? Do you need exactly. transportation? Um, what do we need to keep you in your community, to keep you right. in your, your home environment? And then putting that in place prior to discharge. 
Um, I have, I, I, as you probably, I can't remember if I told you too, but my, certainly my audience, audience knows that I've been teaching nurses for the last five years or so. And one of the things I just absolutely hate is the word compliance, where healthcare people are saying the patient was not compliant. Because mm-hmm. it drives me insane. You know, what it says is the, the healthcare provider was not listening to the patient or allowing the patient to give their input to whatever else, you know, was here is your, your healthcare plan. How much did the patient have a part of it? If they didn't, it's very unlikely they're going to comply with it because they either don't agree with it or they don't understand it. So um, I think that's really crucial. Absolutely, and, and that brings I me to treat the patient like the quarterback. Treat the patient. Yeah. The best line I got told the first day as a new nurse taking the bus into my job, first day as a, a nurse when I just became a lawyer, she's like, no one sees their friends. Get to know them, you know. Mm-hmm. This is a person. It's not a, a disease or a sign or exactly. a system or a condition or a mental health issue. This is a person. Mm-hmm. Treat, them, treat them as a person. Treat them as you would give good quality care to a friend. You know, right. as, as I was talking with you another time, so now my new line in my head is, are you happy with your life? <laughs> what do you yeah. need to change to make it better? What can I do to help you mm-hmm. change to make it better? And that mm-hmm. really is sticking with me right now. How, how, you know, are you happy with your life? Yeah. That's, yeah. that's actually really important because so many people uh, uh, the, we call patients or clients um, have the idea that they're going to come into a healthcare provider and get a magic bullet. They're either going to get some medication or they're going to have surgery or they're going to have something done for them that's magically going to cure their problem. And many, many of us don't want to hear, uh, you know, food, exercise, sleep, all of those things that we need to do for ourselves or all of the other things that are being given to us isn't going to work. It's a change in mentality. It is. is. It's a change of perspective. Mm -hmm. Instead of treating people in crisis, you change, go, okay, uh, are you drinking water? You know, are you involved in your Mm -hmm. community meeting? Do you go to the library? You know, mm-hmm. you go to your local YMCA, the YMCA, you know, or the uh, your local gym. This is included in your health care. Exactly. You know, do you need Asha, uh, meals let- on wheels? You know, how mm-hmm. are you engaged? What do we need to do? And all this plays on people's mental health. Yes. Absolutely. Asha, take us into and population health strategies. Culture makes a big difference. Um, understanding mm-hmm. like transcultural was a big part of my undergrad. Because uh, there are some cultures they expect... I take the pill, I'm as good as I was, if not better. And so it's really not about compliance, it's about measuring expectations. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and and that's, that is the population health perspective. So population health is, is both a concept and it's an activity. So as a concept, it, it's defined as uh, health outcomes of a group of individuals, including the distribution of such outcomes within the group. And, and when you uh, include the distribution of the outcomes in the group, you're getting to the question of equity. And a big part of population health is, is equity. Um, uh, and the population health activities, these are our collaborative activities that improve the health status of an entire population. Um, by really addressing upstream factors. And, um, you know, there's a thing called the social determinants of health. 
right? These are the social drivers of health, and they account for 40% of an overall health outcome. And and these health-related social needs include things like food security, affordable housing, interpersonal safety, utilities, and transportation um, for care. And they have a really strong influence on health. Um, You know, the social, economic, environmental conditions and health behaviors that we were just talking about, those things account for 80% of health outcomes, uh, whereas clinical care accounts for only 20% of health outcomes. Um, But our clinical care uh, is 80% of what we spend on health care. So there's an imbalance. That, that is occurring. And um, population health is, is really a shared accountability of, of multi-sector networks, right? This is a cross-sector collaboration that aligns incentives for population health. And so we have to build bridges between our healthcare organizations, our public health agencies, schools, businesses, and um, shift the paradigm of how we approach health and allocate resources because that 80% that we're spending on health care, we're not getting our money's worth from that. Um, and we have to begin to reduce health inequities across the entire uh, continuum of care um, from the cradle to the grave. Real quick, one other thing about that's really interesting to me about health status in this country is that a person's zip code is far more predictive uh, than their genetic code in determining their health outcomes. And life expectancy uh, also correlates with income. So, um, you know, one zip code might have a, a life expectancy of 80, and then the zip code right next door to it has a life expectancy of 60. Uh, those are the things that we have to address in population health. And and I believe we have a nursing mandate to ensure access to care and to reduce inequities of care as well. I I completely agree. And you can see the visualization. Um, When I go to different countries that have uh, people living longer but better, and I always stress it's different living longer, but you can't do the things that you need to do to make sure that you have a happy life. When I go to communities where there's an ease to walkability, you can walk to the grocery store, you can walk mm-hmm. to a park, everywhere it's easy to walk. It's easy to take public transportation versus going to areas. And I've been to about 35 states and 35 countries, and when I see there's no sidewalks in mm-hmm. a city, and then I know people like, oh, no, you have to drive because it's not safe to walk. The people aren't up to walk to the grocery store to get their groceries in and walk home because it's not safe. You can see there's a lot more obesity in the local populations. It almost feels like they're, the community is built to discourage them from walking, from engaging to each other because they can only go from car to car to car versus walking from place to place to place. And you can see direct correlation just visually with people walking around. Um, I mean, the city is a lot more walkable. People are happy with their life. Mm-hmm. And green spaces are, you know, you're talking about that too, that if you have a place that you can go and sit on the grass or watch nature or just interact with other people that are playing, um, even if you're not playing, watching them play is just so in- incredibly important. Mm-hmm. It changes your mentality. 
Yes. Yeah, it's your perspective, everything. And especially if that's happening at an early age in those first three years where um, your brain is developing, uh, if you're hearing positive things and, and um, uh, getting a lot of positive feedback as opposed to being in an area where there are gunshots, there are a lot of shouting going on and those sorts of things. Even uh, there's a lot of climate change and pollution. Um, they had an instance in the UK where they actually classified a child of basically dying from pollution. You mm-hmm. know, asthma was the cause, but it was the pollution that triggered the asthma from the change in climate. So this all plays into your health of your environment, green spaces, walkability, uh, the water, the food pollution, and access to your community. Um, and it just pretty much nurses us flipping a switch and seeing it from you know, a global perspective. Right. 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 I mean, you know, you have your, you know, your, uh, if you're at the bedside, you have your diabetic patient that keeps coming back, right? And, you know, we all want to pull our hair out um, and, and say, what is wrong? What's happening here? No one is really digging deeper to find out, does this individual have electricity? Okay, mm-hmm. does this individual have transportation to go and pick up the insulin? If, if the individual doesn't insulin? have electricity, that means they can't store their, their insulin safely. So, again, it comes back to the social determinants of health. Those are social drivers of health, uh, and we have to be cognizant of them if we really want and address them if we really want to improve health outcomes. Yeah, say say more about the drivers of health. Well, the, the drivers of health are um, things that actually impact the outcome. Mm-hmm. So the social drivers or social determinants, um, as I said, they account for forty percent of our of our of, of a health outcome, and those are the mm-hmm. things of. Um, where we live, where we learn, where we work, where we pray, and where we play. Those are the factors mm-hmm. that, those are the context of our environment, right? Mm-hmm. And you can't divorce those, those features from a health outcome. Um, but in, in clinical care, we only want to focus on the clinical care. Where clinical care really, you know, it's important. We need it. Thank God it has improved. Uh, our quality of life, but there's so much more involved in a health outcome. Um, and it, I really believe that the social determinants of health is, is an area for nurses to really make an impact on the health status uh, of our communities because we are mm-hmm. intimately aware of those social drivers. Um, right. But we just never found a way to, to incorporate that into our care plans. Well, now we can. This is our opportunity to really impact health outcomes um, in a root cause sort of way. So it, it, the, the social determinants of health help us uh, have a framework um, for addressing things like food security. Um, mm-hmm. it, when you're food insecure, you're more likely to have uh, a chronic illness. Right. I think um, the conversation so is starting. That in and of itself can uh, can be an intervention that that we can use to really help people. Danielle, I think the conversation is starting. Um, the recent conference, uh, 
where CNOs were deploying uh, a new or a modified electronic healthcare record, and Jayco appears. And to have those tough conversations, and a couple of things Jayco had brought up was care plans. Mm-hmm. They're looking at big pictures on us suggesting the care plans. They're looking at you know, the patient from a holistic, a whole point of view, not just um, kind of a cookie-cutter stamp. You know, exactly. like this will end at discharge or this will end at this. It's more, you know, have you addressed at discharge? Because this is the key of everything at discharge. Does the person have a real place to go? You know, mm-hmm. are they being discharged? A safe place. Um, can yeah. they afford their medications? Uh, do they have food? Do they have someone that can pick them up? Do they have transportation to the doctor? Do they have the durable medical equipment, the walker, that uh, will leave with them or, or arrive uh, prior to the arrival at home. So um, everyone is really taking a hard look um, at technology and the overall view of the patient and actually trying to address, rather than a hospital, what they need, how you're addressing the situation, how are you using this data to uh, have a healthier outcome for the patient, um, surveillance you know, um, it's how many patients are getting sepsis? Why are they getting sepsis? Mm-hmm. Are they returning in so many days with sepsis? Um, people are really looking at the big picture and uh, it's being taken quite seriously. And these conversations to me are, are new. It wasn't something that was addressed uh, five or 10 years ago. How are you using the technology to address the overall care of the patient? And um, what is the real-time documentation of that? Um, this is, is such a big subject. It actually um, is probably another whole whole subject, whole um, show. Um, but I just recently was hearing a conversation on the radio, on public radio, and they were talking, there were some people that were really complaining about, well, look at all these people that are not eating well and they're not exercising, they're not taking medications, and they're the ones that are causing the increase in, in healthcare costs. And one of the points that was made was that people will choose, um, can make choices from what's available to them. So, you know, if somebody wants to make better choices, but they don't have food, uh, good food available to them in a, like you said, in a walkable uh, amount of space, um, someplace that they can actually afford, um, maybe even just learning about what is the best food to eat as opposed to what can I afford and fills me up. Right. Yeah. A, a large portion of, of our population lives in uh, a food desert. Mm-hmm. Um, these are areas where they don't really have access to fresh food, foods, uh, fruits and vegetables. Um, their, their choices are, are very limited. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's a, that is a big part of, of, of the discussion here in improving health outcomes. If you don't have those choices, if you don't have those options available to you, well, then you're going to eat what is available. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times those, those are not the healthiest options. So, um, Mm -hmm. it's about looking holistically about, the choices that people have and providing them with, uh, with choices that really can improve their, their health outcomes. Mm-hmm. I think and this is all true. portion of 
in major cities, whether it's San Francisco or L.A., New York, of homelessness. And also mm-hmm. what people I've noticed, just because I've been on the ground, a lot of working homeless. People have a full-time job, but they literally can't afford the rent. They can't afford the mortgage. So they are living out of RV. They're living out of van. They're changing, you know, where they're parking. Mm-hmm. Um, even there's been uh, articles written in the U.K. where young nurses uh, are homeless. Hmm. Um, there's instances I've heard in the Bay Area, uh, first-hand accounts, where there's nurses living in a van because they just can't afford a place to mm-hmm. live. Or people moving out of long-time, their community, their neighbors, their families to other states because they just cannot afford um, the housing anymore and flying into work. So this mm-hmm. separates the family. So the family's in one state, you're flying to work, um, and it's kind of a growing phenomenon. So how do you address someone's health that uh, is working full-time, traveling full-time, just to pay bills? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. how can you be happy with your life when you're constantly under that pressure just to make money for bills? Right. That, how, how do you eat healthy? Um, and so this is something new I had not heard of, of, of nurses living in vans and, and not hmm. just in one country or one instance. So how do you wow. take care of other people when it's difficult to have self-care for yourself? Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, and, and then cycle back to um, food insecurity. You know, what happens is that it becomes a cycle. You, be, you get to a cycle of food insecurity, chronic disease. And, um, you know, the food insecurity leads to coping strategies uh, where you're, you know, you're going to eat foods that aren't the best for you um, because you don't really have the bandwidth to buy good foods. And then that leads to chronic disease. The chronic disease leads to uh, your decreased employability and uh, increased health care expenditures. Um, which leads to more spending trade-offs and it de- because you have a decreasing income, household income. So it's, which, it's also, typical, which also leads to violence. Exactly, exactly, yes, yes. It can lead to interpersonal violence as well. So, it, you know, these things, our perspective on them has to deepen and broaden, um, and it's not just about behaviors. The behaviors aren't, aren't happening in a vacuum. There's a con- again, we're going back to the context of the environment. Um, it has to be considered fully. Mm-hmm. And you know, tech plays a role. I've noticed a big change. Uh, there are some insurance companies that are offering, uh, say now people need to get to the doctor. And they don't have transportation. They don't have a car. They don't have someone to take them. Um, some insurance companies are adding um, like Uber, they're adding uh, Lyft, they're adding Lyft to the insurance so people can get to the doctor's office. And when I talk to the drivers, they say they can see, um, basically like an italicization, they see a font change and they know that, you know, this person's going um, to, to a doctor's appointment. Um, there are cases where, uh, you know, if you don't have a mobile phone, how do you make appointments? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to buy food, say an Instacart, have deliver like healthy food, you have to have a smartphone. You have to have a credit card. So there's mm-hmm. a squeeze in a population if you don't have a mobile phone. So there's a, a lot of apps and different campaigns to get people free phones so they can communicate with the doctor, so they can communicate mm-hmm. with their social worker, their case manager, their health coach. Because if you don't have these technologies and you don't know how to use them, 
you're mm-hmm. kind of disappearing and squeeze out the visualization of the population. Exactly. Also to get jobs. If you um, want a job, but you have no way for somebody to get back to you and say, we are interested in interviewing you. Um, It's all of these things that kind of fit into it. And it seems um, counterintuitive that by offering uh, food that is adequate, offering exercise places, offering adequate um, transportation for various things, not just even medical, um, that if we can offer all of those things and make sure that people are educated, that they will actually boost the whole um, uh, environment. They will will create a, a more positive environment. They will uh, contribute to whatever city, state, uh, country that they are involved in. It's like we're all better off when we work together in whatever way, shape, or form. But for whatever reason, it seems like this is a really hard concept for people to wrap their heads access. around. It's access. Now it's technology. It's access. And um, if you don't, even if it's the elderly population, there's a portion um, that we're having issues where they had to, you know how you have to text back the code? But they mm-hmm. don't have text. They just have voice on their phone. Mm-hmm. So even educating, so you have to educate the nurses so then they can go and educate the population. Mm-hmm. So if they don't know how the tools work, how do you teach the tools back to the population? Right. So I'm always advocating for nurses of all ages to really understand how does telehealth work? How does it come together? Do they do it on the phone? Do they have to go to a place? Do they need transportation to go to the place? All these things... It, it, all of it is population health. It, to me, it's seeing the big picture from a holistic standpoint. Asha, Asha, we've got um, about four or five minutes before we need to kind of tie, start tying things up. Where would you like to go from here? Um, so I, I would like to, okay, so there's a lot more I wish we had time to get to. Um, you know, there are some populational strategies um, but I think that there are some key population-focused concepts that we have to uh, really address uh, if we're going to have a population health perspective. And, and nursing has all of these. These are currently things that, that nursing already does. And it's a theme about holism, right? We've been talking about a whole perspective, a whole person. Mm-hmm. Uh, centered design. Um, so it's about considering the person in their entire context in holism. Mm-hmm. Um, another key uh, population uh, focus con- uh, concept is coordination, right? We coordinate care. That is how we're going to reduce the fragmentation. We, dis- we connect the disconnected. Um, so we make sure that the primary care is talking to urology, is talking to nephrology, so we're all on the same plan, and that, that then extends into collaboration, right, the idea of collaboration. In order to really have uh, population health, it's going to require cross-sector collaboration. It's going to require interdisciplinary collaboration. So we all have to be playing um, with the same set of facts, mm-hmm. uh, communicating all of those facts, and... Um, uh, you know, uh, addressing the patient's needs as a whole. And then the last concept is advocacy, 
nurses are advocates. We advocate for the health and well-being of our um, the patient that is in front of us and for the populations that we serve. Um, so those four concepts are, are, are something that nursing leadership is really going to have to get a hold of if we're going to build uh, a culture of health uh, and redesign healthcare delivery um, and, and the reimbursement model. So um, those are the things I, I really wanted to, to touch upon. Mm-hmm. Um, Danielle, um, do you feel like from your experience and all of the places and people you're touching and connecting with, are we going in that direction? Do people get this? Honestly, I think we are. I think people are finally asking the right questions. Um, a big thing is we learn our role, but we don't understand the other person's role. So if we're all sitting at the table with the patient at the head and everyone understands, oh, this is what you do, or this is, what, this is how your piece comes into play, and having that empathy for each other to understand where each person's coming from, their role, their background, or, okay, this is my piece, but what's your piece? So I think we're finally asking the right questions and coming together to collaborate. And, you know, we talk about putting the patient at the center. I think they're at the head of the table. And I just finally learned as a nurse to ask them, tell me what you want. Right. Tell me exactly why, why what are you, you here. Be honest yeah. with me. And mm-hmm. then from there, I could take that information to the team. Go, okay, mm-hmm. they really need this or they really need that. You know, this is what's for them. This is a missing piece of the puzzle. And then for me to take a broad look and go, you know, as you're talking about this, you need this. I said, you know, at a later date, do you mind if we dress this? Because I kind of noticed this over here. Might need me touched on. Oh, yeah, you know, I hadn't thought about that. I kind of, you know, do, do need some help in that area. So to me, it's project management. What do they need? What's their buy-in? What can you do? And what else do you see in the big picture and how you can help? And then the way yeah. I do is I use social media as a vehicle just to communicate that information whether it's talking mm-hmm. with the e-patient, whether it's talking with a social worker or a doctor, um, how do you do it in your community? You know, what could be better in your community? What are you looking for to, um, to be as healthy as you can be? Yeah, there's so many factors that come into it. Kind of what you were talking about, what is important to the patient. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I had Dr. Paul Shanfield on, who is a retired neurologist. And he was talking about um, early in his internship when he was first starting out, um, he had a, a team of people who were all working on a patient uh, who had cancer. And uh, they were all focused on, you know, all of the big, kinds of things that were going on with this patient from the cancer. And um, at the end, uh, the, the doctor was asking how the patient felt about the care. And she said, well, I still haven't gotten what I came here addressed. And he said, oh, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, I came here with diarrhea and I still have diarrhea. <laughs> and he was cool. like, you know, <laughs> it was the thing that was, you know, most particular to her was this irritating or difficult uh, problem she was dealing with. And while everybody was dealing with these great, big, huge problems, nobody thought about this one thing that was actually easy for them to deal with and correct. Mm, so, yeah. 
And and I think we yeah. do that a lot where, you know, we're looking at our perspective of, of it. Oh, look at this interesting cancer patient or this, you know, whatever it is. But we don't really ask, kind of like you were saying, Danielle, are you happy with your life? You know, she might have been That's happy, you know, dealt with the cancer as long as she got rid of the diarrhea. You know, the food tastes like metal. What can we do about that? So this yes. person's losing weight. They're having poor wound healing. They're getting this chemo. But the whole question of the matter is, the food tastes like metal. Mm-hmm. So what foods, what can we do to change this so this person will gain weight, be able to get to their chemo, be sensitive? So it's a, it's a trickle effect. It might mm-hmm. be something that, okay, the data doesn't show, you know, this food tastes like metal, but that's what's causing the whole entire problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's be able to see it from from the bigger picture. If you start with, you know, what the patient really needs. If they said, okay, today, what what can we do to make sure you have a happy life? What's really like the thing bothering you that you're afraid to speak up and say? Well, mm-hmm. you know, I'm kind of embarrassed, but I have I have diarrhea, and like that's like I know I have cancer, and I know I need to do all these other things. But if we could fix this diarrhea, then I could better manage the other things. I can get to the appointments. You know, I'm, I'm wearing diapers. I, I need some Imodium. You know, there's this mm-hmm. conflict with my, you know, other medications. Mm-hmm. And so if you Skin start down, all of what it. they really need mm-hmm. and then go from there. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I noticed this or I noticed that, you know, uh, do we have time today to address those things with you? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you're, you're having a, an open-ended, honest conversation. And then it's like, okay, yes, you know, I, I did want to talk about it, but I thought we might be short on time. A lot of people are afraid to feel like they're inconvenient. I know you only have like 15 minutes. Yeah, we just you know. have uh, about uh, four minutes left or so. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking, um, you know, if there is something th- that you really want nurses to get out of this or healthcare people in general, what would that be, Asha? What do you want to make sure people walk away from? What I I want to make sure that nurses, um, that we understand our power to really influence the health status of our communities. And I wanted to make sure that I gave them a tool to help do some investigation and understand what actually are the issues uh, in the communities that you live um, using data. And it is the AARP Livable Communities uh, interactive uh, website, and, and what this does is um, this uh, helps people have, know what is livable, right? What is safe and secure in your community? How safe and secure is your community? How affordable and appropriate is the housing? Um, what is the transportation like? Uh, you know, is the community supportive? Are there su- supportive community features there so that you can age in place? So I want to encourage nurses um, to be advocators and use tools like this uh, to advocate for a better livable space for our communities. So that would be what what I want to make sure nurses know. Go and use Mm -hmm. this tool. It it is a good tool to know exactly what are the the, uh, things that you need to focus on to improve health outcomes where you are. Just, just curious. Have you done this for your um, particular area? Yes, I have. I have, and uh, so I have uh, bullet points to go uh, to my next um, 
town hall meeting, uh, and, and I'm going to address issues of affordable housing and um, parks and recs uh, and, you know, our, the sidewalk situation. I live uh, in a metro area, and so I want to advocate for those things, and this tool is going to arm me with the data to make that Excellent. argument. Danielle, um, tell, tell me in just a couple of minutes, what are, if there's one thing you want nurses to know, what is it? I would say the big thing is not to be afraid of technology, mm-hmm. to care for yourself. You shouldn't feel shame or let someone shame you to care for yourself. It's like the airplane. Uh, put your mask on first before you put on someone else's. Uh, mm-hmm. The reason why there's burnout is people aren't taking care of themselves. Um, mm-hmm. I really emphasize uh, using technology, social media, to communicate, to share content, People say, how do you have time to do this? I do it over coffee. Read. Mm-hmm. Publish. Uh, the mm-hmm. conference, uh, publish, you know, within your group, uh, within your community. And I would say those are the biggest things, not to be afraid of technology. Publish, write, do a blog, share your knowledge, and also share your story. You know, that's something that's very powerful that we do as nurses is we could tell a story and sometimes we're afraid to tell, you know, Mm -hmm. other people's story. Share your story because I think Mm -hmm. there's value in everyone's story of choices and lessons learned. Exactly. I think this is so true. Yeah. Well, we we are at the end of our time here. And uh, as I expected, this is really very interesting um, uh, whole topic. Um, and I'm hoping that even just having just this little little bit of information that we've been able to share will get people excited about getting more involved, using their technology, using their voice, stepping up. Uh, I think maybe now more than ever in the history of nursing, we have the opportunity as nurses to be able to, to um, have a voice at almost any table that we choose to have it. Just like um, Asha was saying, you know, arm yourself with whatever resources you have and then go out and help people who haven't got a clue and don't even know where to start, which is often our our, um, elected officials where everything has just gotten so big and so much information they can't possibly know everything. So... um, I really want to thank all of our, um, both of our guests. Thank you so much, both of you, for being here. And I've enjoyed it very much. And, and then I just, I, I just like to thank our listening audience also. <clears throat> uh, and, and think about the things that you're learning on this program and other programs. Um, do you know others who might be interested in hearing these programs or their podcast versions? Uh, can you um, uh, let your friends and relatives know or, or cohorts, um, uh, even just to be able to put it on the, the hospital or the industry newsletter or uh, website for wherever it is that you're located, and just let people know that there are resources out there and they can access them. So um, also, if you have any topics and or potential guests you think would be of interest, please let me know at Leanne, voiceamerica at gmail.com. And I am going to sign off at this. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.